Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. As always, it's a blessing to gather. It's a blessing to sing and worship. I hope you're, you're doing well. Um, I just want to jump right into this. So I want to invite you, if you have your Bible, to please get your Bible out. If you have a Bible app on your smart device, you could get that out as well. But today we are going to be in the Old Testament book of First Chronicles. It's the 13th book in the Bible. So we're going to be in First Chronicles chapter 29. And we'll pick up in verse 10 in, in just a moment, but you may be thinking, um, what exactly is bringing us to this book, First Chronicles? Because if you've studied First Chronicles, if you've read First Chronicles, you know that it's a book of a lot of genealogies, and there's a lot of difficult words to read in there and to pronounce. And so, what are we going to be doing in First Chronicles today? Well, to begin with, we are just continuing in our series, God Is. And what we've been doing is we've been studying some of the attributes of God, and we're going to continue doing that today. Um, So far, we've looked at stuff like God is holy. We looked at that God is all-powerful, He is love, and, and some other attributes of God. But today, we're going to continue by looking at what I believe might be one of the most divisive among evangelicals is this attribute is God is sovereign. God God is sovereign. Now, you're going to see that in a lot of places in the Bible, but specifically, I found, and I think, in 1 Chronicles 29, starting in verse 10, is one of the clearest examples and one of the broadest pictures of the sovereignty of God, so I want to just really just kind of walk through that. Now, here's the deal. The the issue that we're going to be talking about today, the sovereignty of God, is something that I think many have wrestled with and I've wrestled with, and... um, once again, I ask that we practice graciousness with one another as, as, as we seek to understand this infinite God and what he means when he says that he is sovereign. And so, when I say sovereign, you may ask, well, what exactly am I talking about? Because there's a lot of different, maybe, understandings of this word sovereign. Well, we'll just begin and kind of build a base, and hopefully we'll build upon this base so we get to the end of the text, we'll see a, a bigger, broader, fuller picture of the sovereignty of God. But... When we talk about sovereignty or sovereign, God being sovereign, it's really a theological term which simply means God rules, God controls, God governs all things. Many of us will get on board with that, but when you go to push into it, you may start feeling a little bit more uncomfortable. I don't know where you're at, but I believe it means that there's absolutely nothing that happens anywhere, anytime, anyhow that is either not caused directly by God or God allows it to take place because he's sovereign overall now we can keep talking and we're going to push through this and talk through it but it practically means that there's no such thing as luck there's no such thing as chance 
There's absolutely no such thing as karma or accidents, but there is such a thing as a sovereign, all-powerful God. I believe that for many of us, many believers, we have a view of God that is smaller than what God is, uh, too small. It's a small God. We have an ideal of a God that's anemic, that's weak, that's limited. And I believe that one of the reasons that we have a tendency to slide in that direction is because we don't have a proper understanding of the sovereignty of God. Because we will allow, even Christians, we allow God to be almost anywhere except on his throne. We do. But scripture is clear. God is subject to no one. He is influenced by none. He is absolutely independent. God does as he pleases, only as he pleases, always as he pleases. And I'm once again going to state what I've already said. There is nothing that is not either caused by God or allowed to take place by God. He's sovereign. Now, here's the thing I want us to see today. Here's where I really want to land. We're going to look at the sovereignty of God, but I want us to land on this. I really do, that it's a good thing. That it's a good thing that God is sovereign and that I am not. Because I'm telling you from my life, what I've seen is a limited God is not a God at all. He's not. A a God who does not have all control, all sovereignty, what use is that God? And that's what we're, it's a good thing, it's a good thing. So we're going to be in 1 Chronicles. Chapter 29, verse 10. Once again, um, we mentioned this a little bit earlier um, before the message. um, Taylor was talking about this, but um, this is a prayer. It's a prayer. I think it's perhaps one of the greatest prayers found in the Bible where you see the sovereignty of God. And as we walk through this prayer, I believe that you will see four glorious truths about the sovereignty of God. There may be many, many more, but there are four truths here. So let's walk through this. Let's let the weight of the text set on us, and let's see these four glorious truths about the sovereignty of God. Chapter 29, verse 10, first thing, first truth. And we'll spend a little bit of time on this truth because I've really got to build some of these concepts out as we get into the the latter truths. But the first truth is this. God is sovereign in ruling all. All right, let's begin. Verse 10. We'll look at the very first part. Here's what it says. Therefore, David, blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly... And David said, well, pause here briefly. I won't tell you what's going on. Here's what's going on. Um, The the children of Israel had all gathered, and they'd taken up an offering because they are going to build the temple of God. And you can go back and read how massive this offering was, but it was perhaps the greatest offering. It is the greatest offering in the Bible, maybe the greatest offering in all of human history. And David's response to this massive offering is not to bless the men and women who gave it, but to bless the God who's sovereign over all things. And so he just breaks out into this prayer. Continuing verse 10, the the last half, here's the prayer. It begins like this. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Quick side note, this is the first time you see our Father used in Scripture. Verse 11, continuing, it's the prayers. Man, this is big stuff. Check it out. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens 
And all that is in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. A lot of stuff going on there. What I'm particularly concerned with are those last three words. You can underline them, head above all. It means God is sovereign. It means God is sovereignly standing over all. There is nothing that God does not rightly stand over and rule. Why? Because he is sovereign David acknowledges, you can, you can go through there. What is, David, David says, look, my man, I just kind of listed. He says this about God. God has all the greatness. God has all the power. God has all the glory. God has all the majesty. He has all the splendor. All that is in heaven, all that is in earth, all the kingdoms, the kings and kingdoms are subject unto him. He is sovereign. He is completely and totally sovereign. He's the supreme ruler of all. It could not be more clear. But David, he's just getting warmed up. He got more to say. Check out verse 12. Both riches and honor come from whom? You, God. And you, here you go, three words, rule over all. That is a totality of everything. In your hand are power and might. In your hand, it is to make great and to give strength to all. Church, God, God is sovereign. I, I, I don't know what you think when you think about God. I don't know what you think when you pray to God. I don't know what comes to your mind about this sovereign God. I can tell you for me, quite often in my prayers and my thoughts upon God do not match the reality of what David has just said, that he's absolutely sovereign. Because I can tell you this, if I thought on this, it would probably mean that I worried a whole lot less, right? Because God is sovereign, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing he's sovereign and I'm not. I think it should be celebrated. I think he should be praised because he is sovereign. This is not something that I think should be divisive or, or divisive among God's people. But the reality is, and I want to talk about this a bit. We're not going to answer every question. But the reality is, some hear this, some read this. And maybe instead of celebrating the sovereignty of God, they're a bit offended by it. They're offended by it, and I get it. I understand why they're offended by it. But the offense is something like this. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I actually want someone sovereign over me. Like, I would like to be autonomous. Instead of finding comfort in God's sovereignty, they are offended by it, and there's a lot of arguments that go on, a lot of thoughts that go on, but basically they'll, they'll, say some, they'll say something like this, and once again, on the surface level, on the surface level, you're like, well, maybe they have something, because they'll say something like this, um, I, don't, I don't know how sovereign God is, I don't, because I know that I have a will, and I know that I make choices. Now, if God is sovereign, how is it possible then that I have a will. How is it that I make choices? And so we kind of need, need to talk about that because what happens then is the question then becomes something like this. How can God be sovereign and then how can I have a will? Because like I'm not a robot. Like God's not commanding me and telling me what to do. So in other words, how does a how do you recognize a, that there's a sovereign, the sovereignty of God? How does that reconcile with the responsibility of man, right? That's, that's the big, that's the tension. 
Like, 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 do I have responsibility for my decisions or is God's sovereignty overarching? Does God's sovereignty only come up to the will of man? Does the will of man stop the sovereignty of God? How do my choices work into this sovereignty of God? And so we need to talk about it. We do, we do, we can't cover it all. I will say this in general. There's tension here. There's tension in this. The sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. But I want us to understand this. When there is a tension, the right way to solve it is not to make God smaller and man bigger. That's not how you resolve a tension in the Bible. It's not. The way you resolve the tension is make God bigger and make my, make my flesh smaller. And so let's just talk about it briefly. We won't go into it, but deeply. But this is kind of a way I like to think about it. God, in his sovereignty, has allowed for some freedom. Um, Better yet, let me say it differently. God allows for some participation in his sovereignty. So you can call it freedom or will. I don't care what you, you call it. But it's simply the divine ordained capacity that God gives us to make some choices. But there's, there's boundaries to it. There, there, there's boundaries to it. God only allows us to make choices up to a point. There's some sovereign boundaries to it. And, and within the sovereign boundaries, you can make some choices that are consistent with him, and you can make some choices that are not consistent with him. But what you must never forget is God never cedes his sovereignty. God is not even for a millisecond not sovereign over all things. You can get all the way back, Garden of Eden. You got, you, got, you, you got Adam, God says, don't eat that fruit. Adam says, I'm gonna eat the fruit. What did God allow him to do? God allowed him to eat the fruit. And there was consequences, but God never gave up his sovereignty. In other words, your will, your freedom, whatever you want to call it, can only be exercised within the sovereignty of God. Um, I want to share with you an illustration that I find, I find helpful. It breaks down if you push into it too much. Every illustration does, unless it's been given by Jesus. But um, here's, I read this, and I just want to share it with you. Um, if you take a game like, say, football or baseball or basketball. They're played on a field or a court or a pitch. I mean, whatever. They have a, they have a field of play. All right? In that field of play, you've got sidelines, you've got goal lines, you've got boundary lines, and the games are sovereignly played within those fixed lines. The lines don't move. The lines are constant. They're fixed. But within those lines, you can call your own plays. You can call plays that advance the ball. You can call plays that do not advance the ball. You can say whatever play that you want to play. But if you step outside those sovereign lines, a whistle's going to blow. So you can be bad play, good play, whatever, but you can't go beyond those sovereign lines. Similarly, God has some sovereign boundaries beyond which none of you or I can cross. We can't. Every now and then someone will say, you know, um, I am, well, I, I, 
God doesn't control me. I can do what I want to do. There's no limitations on what I do. And I like to reply, do this for me. Fly. Like, well, I can't fly. No, you can't. You can't. Because there's a sovereign boundary over that. There's something called gravity set in place by a sovereign God. And he will not allow you to fly. He won't. But you can, within the boundaries of play, make choices consistent with him or against him. But God never, 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 never cedes his sovereignty. You and I can participate in it or not. So, let me just end this on this first, first little point, this truth. Is God sovereign? Yes. Are you responsible for your sin? Yes. You are. He's sovereign, you're responsible. But he's sovereign over all things. I want you to hold those thoughts because we're going to build on these truths, okay? But I don't want anyone here for any second to think that our God is not sovereign. He is sovereign and he's good, all right? So first truth, God is sovereignly ruling over all. We're going to get to a second truth. We're going to see this. This one is not so debated at all. God is sovereign as owner of all. He owns it all. Verse 12, let me just read the second truth. Well, actually verse 13, I'm sorry. And now we thank you, our God. We praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and you own. And from your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. Oh Lord, our God, all the abundance that we have provided for building. He's talking about the temple. You a house for your holy name comes from your, check out these last four words. These last four words comes from your hand and here we go, is all your own. We see not only is he sovereign over all things, we see that he sovereignly owns all things. In other words, there's not a thing that you own. There's not a thing that you enjoy that actually belongs to you. Everything you have, from the clothes that you wear, to the car that you may drive, to the house that you live in, do not belong to you. Yeah, what, what, I, I got a deed and my name's on it, cool. But that deed will burn and you will die, and it is not yours at all. It all belongs to the sovereign God. It is a put in a trust in my hands and in your hands, and we're to steward it for his glory and our joy. So we also, yeah, it's all God's. Everything I got, my 2002 Honda Odyssey with 200,000 miles on it, that belongs to the Lord, and it's a glorious ride, I'm telling you, ma'am. But not only that, not only does everything we own belong to him, we gotta go even farther than that. In addition to that, that includes your talents that you possess. Like he formed you, he made you, he gave you both life and breath. Therefore, none of us, none of us can get puffed up or prideful about anything. You good in sports? Thank God. You good at math? Thank God. You good at academics? Thank God. He gave that to you. It's a gift from his good, gracious hands. Now some, I get, some will say, well, I, man, I, I, worked, I worked hard for my stuff. 
right? I worked hard for it. And my ability on the, to be a great athlete, man, I developed that. I trained for that. I did that. No, sir, you did not. You didn't. I know you worked hard. I know you trained hard. But who gave you air to breathe? Who gave you food to eat? God did. It is all his. It is all his. It is all his. All of it. It's his. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, gives a great illustration. And I want to share it with you because it, has, it, it, it helps me. It helps me. I just want to read it to you. And I think you'll understand it. I've already kind of said it, but let me just read this from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. This is what he says. Every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving, your limbs from movement to movement, it's given to you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. He goes on to say, so that when we talk of a man doing anything for God or giving anything to God, it will tell you, I will tell you what it's really like. And here's the example. It's beautiful. It's like a small, small child going to his father and saying, Daddy, give me six pence to buy you a birthday present. Of course, the father does, and he's pleased with the child's present. It is all very nice and proper. Here we go. But only an idiot would think that the father is sixpence to the good of the transaction, or otherwise, only an idiot would think the father is actually a gainer in the transaction. Right? And I love it when C.S. Lewis uses the word idiot. He don't use that word a lot. But it's true. When we give an offering to the God, only an idiot would think that we're actually making God richer. Because he gave it to me. And for his glory and my joy, I give it to him. First truth in God's sovereignty is he rules over all. Second, he owns all. Now we're going to be, we, hey, we're going to the deep waters. Everybody practice graciousness and love. All right? Third truth. God is sovereign over the hearts of all people. Um, all right? So let's read. Let's just read. Let's read it. Verse 17. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprighteousness. In the uprighteousness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. Now they're talking about the offering. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and, I love this, joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and Five words. I got five words right here. Direct their hearts towards you. A lot is packed into that. I think, and we're going to talk about it, I believe that we see here that God is indeed sovereign over the hearts of people. And once again, as we walk through this, I just ask for graciousness as we talk about it. There's no need to be, I don't know, I don't want us to get pushed out of shape about this. I want us to think on this. I think it requires or leads us to worship. But here's what, what, what happens is, 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 once again, people will say, everybody, Christians, I believe all Christians are going to say God is sovereign, right? 
And they'll say, God is sovereign over all things, but some will stop and say, but he's not sovereign over the hearts of men and women. And they'll say something like this, God cannot woo me. God cannot cause me to make a heart choice. So God is sovereign up into my heart and me, right? Briefly, my reply, and I'm not going to get into all of it, but is, really? Really? God's sovereignty stops at my heart? I hope not, man. I hope not. One of the problems with this way of thinking is that if we are left unto ourselves, we would never will or desire to love God. I would never desire to do anything that pleases God. That must be given to me by a sovereign God. Um, So let's just be clear here. I'm going to say this, and, and I know you know it's all true, but we all shady. We all shady, man. No, listen, I'm going to tell you something. I did this experiment, and once again, you can say it's flawed, and you could say I missed something, but I'm just going to throw it out there, and then you can, um, I don't know, text me or email me later. Um, we all shady, man. We all shady. So I did a, there's a lot of you here. There's a lot of you here, okay? Um, I did a cursory look around, and I was trying to locate, my opinion, who is the least shady person in this sanctuary, I'm not, I I didn't even try. Um, So um, I'll tell you where I landed. I landed on um, Miss Faye back there. I know, I know. I landed, I know, I know. Well, I landed on Miss, she's the most lovely, gracious woman. I would say the least shady of us all. I know, I know, I'm not done, I'm not done. She's already confessing. If any of you, first of all, don't know her, go hug her, you need it. Second, if you were to go talk to her, she would tell you she's shady. She's shady. Left on her own, she would never choose God. And she's the best, from my point of view right now, among us. Nobody is convicted of their sin on their own. Only God the Spirit convicts of sin. I'm going to tell you my own story. I did not even know that I was a sinner until God, the Spirit, convicted me. I never looked for God, never thought about God. In fact, if I was honest, I would tell you I thought I was God. But praise his name, he's sovereign, and he sovereignly moved on my heart. And some might occasionally say something like this, man, I'm smart. I don't figured that stuff out all on my own, Right? I read the Bible and, you know, I put two and two together and I figured it out. I figured it all out. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You didn't figure it all out. You didn't. You didn't figure it out. Oh, no. I'm in trouble now. Yes, ma'am. Yeah.
God hears. Amen. Amen. Oh, come on, come on, come on. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on. So um, if, if, if um, you're watching on the video cast or the podcast, Miss Faye just got up and gave a great testimony about the sovereignty of God, and so it's tremendous. God is sovereign. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. But that's true. That's true in my life. So let's just say someone said, okay, it wouldn't happen, but let's just say, for argument's sake, we had the ability to figure it out, right? Who gave you the brain? Who gave you the air to breathe while you were figuring that out? God did. God did. God did. In addition, one last thing I want to we could talk this for, for, for a long time. If God is not sovereign over the hearts of men and women, why do we pray to him and ask him? to move and to save people. Why? If he does not have sovereignty over their heart, it's fruitless. Like, like, like I'm praying for my neighbor, and if I'm praying for my neighbor for God to save them, and God doesn't have sovereignty over the heart of my neighbor, then when I pray to God, God's reply would be saying, I can't do it. My sovereignty stops at his heart. So Travis, he better figure it out, or better yet, Travis, you better communicate the gospel so clearly that they cannot resist it. Praise God. Praise God is not dependent upon me. and is not dependent upon you. God is good. I'm going to pause there. I'll say this. Is there some things that we don't have all figured out? Absolutely. Are all the questions answered? Absolutely not. They're not. But once again, you don't answer these questions by making God smaller. You make him bigger because he is so big. But that leads to the fourth truth that I want to get to about the sovereignty of God. All right? This is where I want to land God is sovereign and should be worshipped by all. That's where I want to get at. We don't need to divide on this. The whole text that we just read, we see one overarching truth. God is sovereign and he should be worshipped. Man, I think... Let me say this. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what brought you here today. But I tell you, I do think what ought to have brought each and every one of us here today, and that is the sovereignty of God. When you think, when you think that the sovereign God of the universe that holds everything up desires for us to meet together to worship him, how amazing is that? How amazing is that? Um, One time, um, so this is years ago, we lived in Africa and at Dar es Salaam, and uh, President George W. Bush was visiting, and he was going to the embassy, American embassy. We lived really close by it, and I was like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to write that dude a letter and, you know, get me an invitation to eat with him, or better yet, he can come to my house. I mean, we're both from Texas. You would think, you would hope, so I wrote my little letter, whatever. He never replied. I am certain it was the mail system, you know what I'm saying? Because surely he would have replied. But I was, I was thinking, if he had replied, invited me to dinner, I, I would have been, I would have gone, I would have gone. But I would have just been going to see a man who has very limited power, very little sovereignty. How much greater is it that the living God of the universe who's sovereign over all things has thus ordained that we should meet together and worship him? Praise God. 
This sovereign God is gracious. This sovereign God is good. Church, God is sovereign. He sits on his throne. Everything that happens either happens because he ordains it or he allows it to take place. There is nothing that enters history or that could enter anywhere that's not under his complete control. And I would say, and I believe, this is an absolutely good thing. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.